This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 18, Episode 32. This is Writing Excuses, the Kirsten Vangsness Expansion Pack. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry, and we're not that smart. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Erin. I'm Howard. And we're with our special guest, Kirsten Vangsness. Kirsten, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Hi, my name is Kirsten Vangsness. Uh, I am most notably seen, if you put a flower in my hair and a keyboard, I have played Penelope Garcia on uh, Criminal Minds, coming up on its 17th season. Um, I am a uh, Los Angeles-based playwright, uh, and I have written four or five, oh shoot, I've co-written five episodes of Criminal Minds, but I've written a few one acts. I've I've written uh, a one person show that I mean he's my friend, but Neil Gaiman has been quoted as saying it is his favorite one person show. Um, and uh, I took a couple of plays to Edinburgh in 2019. Uh, I am the host of Kirsten's Agenda, which you can find on YouTube. I make stuff. That's me. Fantastic! I have a cat. We are I have so a cat excited. Yes, I was also for uh, for our listeners. Um, who, uh, who are not watching the video feed, Kirsten has an extremely adorable tuxedo cat behind her uh, uh, whose name is Atreyu. And so Atreyu, I, yes. I, Atreyu. I was delighted, delighted to meet uh, <laughs> both of you, actually. Um, so what we're going to be talking about is, um, is the idea of uh, imposter syndrome and, and the expansion pack that you, you bring from your life, from, from the experiences that you have. So Kirsten and I both have a theater background. Uh, longtime listeners have heard me talk about puppets like a lot. What do you find yourself like pulling from from your performance experience when you are writing? Uh, you know, one of the I, I started writing. Writing became a gateway drug uh, when I was in fifth grade and I got a huge crush on Harriet the Spy and I started keeping a journal. And then when I started to audition for things, I realized there weren't any parts for me that I could do in a monologue way that really showed what I wanted. They were too narrative or I don't know, like I, and you needed to kind of like get in there in this short period of time to realize, oh, it needs a conflict. It needs something fun to do. So writing, I would kind of walk around my room and be like, okay, if, if I was coming up with the perfect monologue, this is what it would have. And I would kind of talk and do it and then write it down and talk a little more. So that was actually how I started to write. And then I would go and do this thing that I just sort of barfed out of my mouth and it would be way more successful. It would get me way more uh, attention or, um, you know, there, I used to do these um, monologue festivals and you would it would cost like $50 to do and you would get $55 if you won. I didn't have any money. So I was like, I need to win this thing. So it became really important because then you got seen by casting directors and stuff. And um, and then as I, I always knew just from writing in my journal how cathartic expressing and necessary expressing 
expressing, period. I think that's true for every single human being. But when I was performing, it, 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 it engages the brain, the writer brain in a different way because, and I've noticed this when I've written for Criminal Minds, scenes I've written um, for the character that I play, there's the writer Kirsten. And then when actor Kirsten is doing what writer Kirsten wrote, she's like, holy goodness, I'm discovering something over here that, that, so you get to have a different perspective. It, especially I think if you're willing to come, which I, how I do from any kind of creativity standpoint where I believe love the art in yourself, not yourself in the art. I'm not special. My job is to stay out of the way and let, you know, be the muse, let the muse come, blah, blah, blah. Everybody has the right to create everybody has the right to make something. You get an award or people like it, that's great. But I think that if you're willing to stand impersonally from the work, you can kind of interact with it in a way that isn't so like, look at this thing I made and look at this thing. It's like, you're here. And I've actually, I'm a name drop again. I actually learned that a little bit, or I learned to take ownership of that from watching Neil Gaiman because I've been around him enough times and watched him sign books. And, you know, obviously he's such a meaningful writer for many of us. And the way he is able to engage with people who say to him, this book is so important to me and he can honor it because he stands outside of the work. Like he understands like that's something that I get, I get to play with the great creative God, isn't this wonderful? I know the secret, which is you get to play with them. Anybody gets to play with them. And any of us who know that secret should share it. And I do think that there are people that are are gatekeepers and act like you need to have some sort of rights to do it. I don't believe that. I can't believe that because I'm not go- a good enough of a writer um, to to believe that. I, I, I And I, I sometimes I am. And sometimes I'm really, really not. And I I have to make that very clear as we, I have written very good scenes in things that have been televised where I have literally started the scene like person one says something important. Person two (laughs) says the opposite thing. Person three comes in with an anecdote. Like, so did I answer that question? Talk yes. about expansion, Pat. Oh, my just goodness. Yes. You, you absolutely <laughs> answered the question. Yeah. And the best the best of us and and the rest of us do that same thing. That I cannot count the number of times I've flipped through a script that I thought was ready to be illustrated and realized that there's a dialogue bubble that says, punchline goes here, Howard. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. My- my my current novel has a, a thing that says Wilbert makes funny joke here. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Unfortunately, no, it's actually really bad joke here, which is much easier to fill. Um, <laughs> uh, the the thing that I, I sp- especially like that you you were talking about is, um, is is honoring what the audience brings to it, and I think that that personally is something that I brought out of my theater experience is recognizing that only half the show exists until we get in front of an audience. And they each person in the audience brings their own thing, whether that's the people on the set or the people who are watching it or the reader. The, and for me, 
like when you talk about the great creative gods, that 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 the audience is actually that because that's who I'm writing for. That's that that uh, that meeting in between us is what I'm looking for. Absolutely, because it's that energy, the gods and goddesses, and and non-binary gods and god creatures of power. That they are. It, there's an energy that happens between you and the audience. And I'm doing this thing I just started in LA uh, called Bits. By the time this airs, I will have done a couple of them. And the whole idea of is that I know these really incredible writers who write things, but we don't finish it. And sometimes the thing that makes you finish it is to do 10 minutes or less of it in front of a room and say, I'm making this thing and take that terrible, disgusting, horribly apathetic to your insides leap of I'm reading this in front of people and I don't even know if it's good. I don't know where it's good. I'm hoping that these parts make sense. And you know, as you start to do it, because you'll feel this wave of energy coming at you. And whether that wave is apathy or joy or curiosity, you'll feel it. And it is really interesting because it does teach you what you're saying to the audience. The wave yeah, of apathy you- is kind of like the sound of one hand clapping. Um. <laughs> I think one thing that's cool is you feel it from yourself as well. Like you get things from the audience, but I, you know, I not really have as much of a theater background, but I'm a big karaoke person as <laughs> many folks no, yeah, in the writing excuses land know. And like, what's funny is you can be at home and like, maybe you're practicing your song, but when you get up in front of people, you sing differently because they're there. And I think the same thing when you read your work, like sometimes I'll go read, I like to read unfinished things that are just like those little bits that you're talking about. And I'll start to read a sentence. And as I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, that's not right. Actually, (laughs) like (laughs) that word is not the word that I should be saying. And sometimes I'll try to revise it like on the fly and try to like, remember what did I just say? Because that was the thing. Because in the moment of being in front of the audience, being there and seeing them brought something out of me as a creator that I didn't get in the same way when I was reading to my cat as lovely as she is. That's right. I think it's two separate things. To write on your own in your privacy, to create in your private world, that has its own trappings, right? Like I destroy myself when I write. Like I have to know that there is a persona that lives in me that is just gonna constantly tell me what a failure I'm, how pointless it is. Or like, why are you doing this? You're already on a show. You're already successful. You're not even good at that. Like just, it will do anything it can to get me to stop. And then there's another, there's another kind of risk you're taking. Like you said, when you're at home doing your karaoke and then when you go out in the world doing it, it's like the Heisenberg principle. The observed object is going to change by the act that it is being observed. And we at least all say we want our work to be seen and heard. Mm -hmm. So we have to get it observed, but it's so terrifying to have it observed too. Yes, absolutely. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, imposter syndrome and how to take these pieces of our lives and, and use them. But right now, let's take a quick break. Do you want to tell us about your thing of the week, Kirsten? Oh, here's my thing. My thing. I, I asked if I could do plural things and you said I could. So here's yes, my plural yes. things. Um, I have a show on YouTube. I highly recommend season two. Season one's a little dated because it was pandemic time deeply, but it's called Kirsten's Agenda and it is about art and self-actualization. And I don't remember 
most of it, but I do know that I made stuff during that. I wrote things, I wrote songs, I interviewed a bunch of smart people, and I have heard that it is it is it is helpful for stuff. So that is something that I would like um, to plug. And then this is not something that I I made, but it is a thing. It is my thing of the week because I'm deeply invested in it. If you happen to be listening to this and you're going to the Edinburgh Fringe this year, there's a show called Blue written by a wonderful playwright named June Carroll. And it is about the insurrection. It is about the George Floyd incident. It is about, um, it's so beautifully told and so smart and it's an hour long and it's wonderful. And it's called Blue by June Carroll. And if you happen to be in Scotland in April, go see that at Assembly Rooms. That's, those are my things. All right, listeners, you have your uh, your marching orders. You're going to go listen to Kirsten or watch Kirsten's Agenda on YouTube. And obviously, you need to buy tickets to the Fringe Festival in Edinburgh. Uh, it's in April. You have plenty of time to make those plans. It's in August. It's in August. August. It's in August. They have a August. little time. They have, yeah. they have some time. <laughs> Fantastic. So now that we are back, um, I want to talk about uh, imposter syndrome because that's something that I think hits everybody. Um, one of the things that you were talking about before the break, Kirsten, was, you know, why should I even do this? I don't even have, but also you're already successful. And so there are these multiple parts of your everyone's life where there is an area that you have success and then there's the new venture that you're trying. For a lot of our listeners, that new venture is writing, where they are very early in their career. Maybe you haven't finished anything yet. What are the things that we can... Uh, I, I talk about with my own life that I, I came into writing with an expansion pack um, from theater that I already knew how to deal with character. Because mm-hmm. I had already been inhabiting characters, but structure was a hot mess. So, <laughs> what are what are ways that you can um, look for the the skills that you already have, like, and find out what your expansion packs are? I would say the first thing is to I, I heard this. This was uh, a black woman talking about imposter syndrome in business. Mm. It applies hugely with her, much less. For me, in different degrees, depending upon the privilege in which our society has endowed us at this period of time. But she was saying, in terms of imposter syndrome, to get an agreement that you are an imposter. She was saying that where she is, the spaces in which she goes through life, it wasn't designed for her to be there. So she Mm -hmm. is an imposter. When you look at it like that, it's kind of cool, meaning like, good for you for getting in there and doing it. So it's, I mean this in a different way, obviously, because I don't want to make, I want to make that distinction very clear. I am not trying to say that I'm going through these same situations like that, but I'm saying internally, get into agreement that you feel like an imposter, I think is always the first thing. You can end that argument. I'm a big fan of ending arguments inside myself. So, Mm. okay, I'm an imposter. Number one. Number two, I want to write. Because I want to write means I'm a writer. End of conversation. I wouldn't want to do it. I I wouldn't have, I have the right to do it because I want to do it. That's it. 
end that conversation. So there's some of these things that just need to be just stopped and you need to let, like, you need to do a, an active spirit, right? Like, don't go into your reptilian brain, just active spirit. And then I think in terms of, like, we all have what we need. You know what I mean? We all have in our little hobbit bag of tricks what you need to do it how you do it. I, how I write is totally different than how other people write. So when I, yes, it might be nice to read how other people do it give you freedom, but like, you know, I can't like the way I write, I have to go back and edit every two seconds, which people say is terrible. You should never do that. But sometimes that's how I have to do it to make it work for me. Um, I think that like you, you can pride yourself once you know, and take pleasure and I need to learn how to do this in what you don't know. Like, I cannot learn to outline if my life depended on it. Like, I, if literally, if my life was dependent upon me outlining it, I would be dead on the ground. <laughs> um, but I, because I don't know how to do it yet. But it's going to feel so good when I do, but I still don't know. And um, I think that that's part of the, you know, it's called expansion pack for a reason. It's going to expand. Be so boring if it was just like the pack. You know what I mean? And that's it. That's all you had. So um, I, I think that you just know what you're built with and then you you go forth. Kirsten, I think in the first half of the episode, you gave us a critical tool here. You talked about how um, we want to avoid these the, the gatekeeping of any of this. Hey, get the gatekeepers out of the way. You should be, hey, don't gatekeep yourself. That's Just right. stop that. And we can all see ourselves doing it. Oh, I shouldn't do this because I'm, no, wait, I'm gatekeeping. Why am I gatekeeping? Because I'm afraid of failing. Because I'd rather go get a sandwich. I don't know. But figure out why that gatekeeper is there and then show them the curb. Yeah, I also think like what you said about feeling like understanding where the world is kind of working with you or the world is working against you is like you have everyone has gone through some gates already in your mm. whether it's in your personal life in your professional life like you know how to get past gates like you've made it somewhere and so sometimes I think we look at the gates in front of us that are closed and we forget to look behind us at the gates that we've already unlocked scrambled over dug under however you got through it you got through it maybe you left a little bit of yourself behind, you know, maybe you got a scrape in the process, but you did it. And I think going back and acknowledging that is a great way to take power forward for the next gate in front of you. Mm -hmm. I literally got chills when you said that, Erin, just FYI. Um, yeah, that's, I, I think that that is um, absolutely, absolutely important is to, to honor the experiences that you have had whether they're positive or negative, for what they can teach you about the road ahead of you. In one of our other podcasts, I talked about the fact that I cannot tell you exactly how to navigate through the experience of being a writer because I start from a different point. And so the experiences that I pass through are different. 
But uh, to Aaron's point, to, to Kirsten's point, I can look at the things that I have gone over and, and that can help guide me forward. I have a, I actually have a conflict that I'm going to resolve after I get off this uh, podcast. In fact, thank you. <laughs> so one of the things I'm going to circle back uh, to something from the beginning part of the episode, Kirsten, when you were talking about your gateway um, into writing, which is that you started it by uh, by monologuing, by uh-huh. by by trying to to find monologues, where you are now, um, what tools are you still using from that? Oh, I still, yeah. I mean, look. I am a, I think that there are people that move in a linear fashion and then there are people like little onions that just go in a little circle. I'm the circle kind. So like I'm doing the same, I dress the same as I did when I was five. So it's like, I just go a little more provocative, more provocatively. I'm going down a road and I'm stopping the road because it's not going to make any <laughs> sense to anybody but me. Um, but uh, I think that the things that I use Luckily for me, the way in which I speak to myself, the way in which I externalize a lot of stuff I write about is about all the people that live inside of us. I do a lot of like persona Mm. stuff. Very easy for me to write dialogue just based on the various things that I combat with inside of my own person. So dialogue is really easy for me and because I can do it based on what goes on inside of me if that if that makes if that makes any sense yeah. so i think just journaling you know and to me you know how you know you're a writer you know how i know i'm a writer i write if you wrote a sentence today and i will i will argue that, that by dint of recording yourself saying something writing something down drawing something out you are a writer that day. Check the box. You might want to be more of a writer by writing a little longer, but if you don't write, are you a writer? Like, who's who's the actor? The one who has the nachos commercial that's running all the time, that's making money, but just sitting on their couch? Or the person who is doing, you know, day-to-day-to-day scene work and monologues and plays for $2 a night? Like, who's the actor? Like, that. that who's the writer? So, like, that's... Um, to me, the act of doing it creates more moments of success. You know, I, like I, you have to make the gross stuff and then through all that gross stuff that you're puking out, there'll be like a little bit of gold. Yeah. I had a friend all the rest years ago say, year, years ago said, lots of people will tell you, you can't write. Don't let any of them tell you, you don't. Yeah. And, and I will... I will also just to to layer onto that, um, continuing to use theater as the metaphor, um, that that sometimes you go through slumps where you you cannot land a gig at all, um, where you can't even get in the room to audition, and that doesn't make you stop being an actor. Um, it doesn't, you know. And likewise, as a writer, uh, just because you don't make a sale doesn't mean you aren't a writer. And then also a, one thing oh, I want to say for mental health. If you have to take a break, surgeons go on vacation, they're still surgeons. So right. if you have to take a break for writing, you're still a writer, even if you're not actively doing it because of mental health or, or other health things. Yes. And I would say, though, 
that creativity is one of those beautiful, terrible, jealous mistresses that once you open Pandora's box, if you try to shut her again, you will feel pain. Your body will scream at you. So maybe not writing, maybe if you can take a break from writing, but your creativity is something it's, it's there and it's there for you always. It's always there for you. That's the thing that I find so touching about it. I can leave her forever and she's always there. She might be like, you forgot about me and I feel lonely and you need to tend to me more. So I'll wake up to you. You're going to have to be nice because I'm not just going to drop pearls of wisdom at your feet right now because I'm a little mad, but she's always there. And if I can impart this to everybody, if I could give, I want to share this with the world, how important this is, because I am very, like, I, I have a successful job. I, people can point, like, look, there she is. She must get paid for that. She have, Like, I do this thing. And also, you see my name on it, co-written by, there's my name. That is great and fine. But if I, I don't, if I knew a lot of rich, successful people that were happy, I would, if, if, if money and success made you happy, I would know a lot of rich and successful, happy people. And I don't, I would say equal, but maybe not even that there is your art. Well, and there's your commerce. Well, they are not the same. Well, very rarely can I say that I have put my commerce. Well, is the thing I make money doing your art. Well, is your art. Well, you hope that the art well becomes a commerce. Well, but if it becomes a commerce, well, It's kind of now its job is to make you money. You can't, to put all of this into this isn't fair. Like, so we have to also take the joy of the doing of it and the deep, deep, important, cool value of the doing of it. The fact that you are writing, that's cool. The fact that you're writing and that no one's paying attention to it, no one's giving you money, that's even cooler. That's what they write songs about and make movies about is you. So like the second you become successful, you're just like, whatever, you're chewed up gum. You're going to get attention for that. But like, I I want everyone to know that coming from someone whose commerce well is very full, I always have to keep my art well full. And that's my responsibility and our responsibility as people to our own inner artist that needs tending. The world will become progressively a more kind of place we want to live in if we each just tend to our own pleasure, tend to our own art well. And just to feed onto that and to add to what Mary Robinette was saying earlier, the most important well, I love that, by the way, I love the art well and the commerce well. And then there's also like your personal well, like mm. your actual, I can exist as a person well. And that is the well that you really, really must feed the most because if that well goes dry, you lose it all. And so sometimes you have to, I have found literally in the last week that I was struggling, staying up late, working on a project, not doing very well. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to go get eight hours of sleep. I'm just, you know, it's going to put me back, but I'm just going to try it. And then I woke up and the next day my art well, my personal well was refilled. And so my art well was moving much faster than it was when I was like struggling through the art and letting the personal go. And so it's really about making sure you feed yourself so that you can feed your art. And then hopefully we all become rich and happy and successful at the same time. Amazing. I think that that is a great point for us to move on to our homework, which will give you, dear listeners, something to fill your art well with. 
Ooh, okay. So I came up with this. I'm going to try to make it concise. Brevity is not my forte. Um, I have these big questions that I always write about. Um, I always write about time. I'm fascinated by time. What is young? What is old? Who lives inside of us? That Madeline Lingle quote, we are every age we've ever been. These are things I think about all of the time. I also think about the female sexual response cycle all of the time. These are two things I constantly think about. So I end up writing about them because they're my big questions. Now, you might know what your big questions are. You might be like, oh, this, these are the things I think about all the time. I'm talking about that big concept, like, what do we do after we die? Or I, I really, really, really am this political affiliation, and this is why, and I feel deeply about it, because what are your big questions? If you don't know what they are, or even if you do know what they are, get a recording device on your phone, whatever. I like those voice-to-text things very much. I use that almost all the time. Um, Record yourself so you can hear yourself because I think cadence and the way things you're stressing on is important and see the words. Go on a rant. Rant about your philosophical big question or questions. Then sit down, make it easy on yourself. If you can only like, I feel stressed out. I can't do it for too long. Like make a timer, like 10 minutes. Do a, do a, little, do a little mini, mini task. And now make a scene based on that philosophical idea. Don't write about the philosophy. Have the people doing the thing. Make a thing where you try to avoid talking about the concept, but show the concept. Maybe even don't even have any dialogue if you don't want to. Just by their behavior, you see it. Um, That is my homework. All right. Dear listeners, so your task is to identify what your big questions are and then write a scene in which you have characters living out and embodying that big question. And I would expansion pack this and say, do all that while making sure that at least all three wells are filled up as high as you can get them. The other two, the personal, as Aaron was talking about in the commerce, as high as you can get them at that moment before you get to this one. That, that would be my other, be gentle with yourself. Give yourself grace as you do it. That would be the expansion pack part of that. And you should maybe do that by taking a break and go watch the Kirsten Agenda. <laughs> this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. To stay up to date with new releases, upcoming in-person events like our annual writing retreats and Patreon live streams, Follow Writing Excuses on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, or subscribe to our newsletter. Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. For this episode, your hosts were Mary Robinette Kowal, Aaron Roberts, and Howard Taylor. This episode was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr., mastered by Alex Jackson, and produced by Emma Reynolds. For more information, visit writingexcuses.com. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. 
Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 